As the goldfish are going, um, we're going to be going into the book of Philemon. You guys call him Philemon, I know, and I call him Philemon. So I'll use my way. So bear with me. It's Philemon. It's my way. <laughs> um, and um, we're going to look at the book of Philemon. We're going to look at the first six verses of the book of Philemon together. But before we do that, I want us to see a little bit of an overview of the book. Because for the next two weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Philemon together. So I want us to see a little bit of an overview so you have an understanding of where we're going and what's happening. And after that overview, uh, Miss Mariah will come and read scripture with us. So if we can watch the screens for the overview of the book of Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now, a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships, which moves Paul onto his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus. And so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison. And even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus which moves Paul on to his bold request, that Philemon receive Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. 
Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order. Why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. In the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested. And he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. And then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society, or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners, who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. Amen. Just for you guys to get a little bit of a glimpse of where we're going to be going with the book of uh, Philemon, as I've said, and I'll say it again, Philemon, um, I will invite Miss Mariah, the owner, she's going to read scripture for us. Will we stand for the reading of scripture as we read today, and then we're going to sit after she has read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the soldier in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon's love and faith. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive them as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you, that you owe me, even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that you, through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true. I pray, Lord, that as we sit and we hear your word together, I pray that you'd speak through these feeble lips and you'd speak to our hearts. May we hear, hear our speaker and hear alike. May we hear what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to be very true in not keeping you long today. Um, I will be very true to that. I surprised some people the last time I spoke. I did not promise to not keep you long, but I did not keep you long. So I promise not to do that this time. I hope I can keep to that. I think I will. All right, so we're looking at the book of Philemon. Um, and some of you have come in late. I know you call it Philemon, and I'll repeat it again. I call it Philemon, and... That's how I'm going to call it. So Philemon, we meet him here, and he's getting a letter from the Apostle Paul. There are some characters in here that I want us to look at first before we do anything else. The characters in this book, the main characters, there are other characters that are in the book, but the main characters in the book is Paul. Paul is the writer of the book. Paul is an apostle. Paul is a prisoner. And Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. So Paul is the first one. 
The second one is Philemon himself, whom the book is named after. Philemon is the one who receives the book. But also there are some things about Philemon which we're going to spend a lot of time on today. I really want us to spend time today just looking at Philemon. That's why it's not going to be as, um, as long as that. Um, Onesimus, we're going to see him next week. But Philemon here, we see him as a man who is supposedly a wealthy man, a believer, a man who has a home, most probably large enough to have part of the church or the church meeting at his home, because Paul mentions that. Um, he seems to be as well, if he had um, slaves, most probably he was a well-to-do man. There's a lot of things that we see that are pointers to who Philemon is. So he's most probably one of the people who um, are looked at in the society as high up, sort of, in the ladder that society puts people in. And then the last person that we see that we're going to look at next week is Onesimus. Onesimus is a subject of the, of the letter, but we know that Onesimus is a runaway slave. Onesimus is a slave who has run away from his master, um, and we know that he has wronged his master, not only by running away, but by something else too. Paul mentions it. He doesn't mention exactly what it is. So there's speculation that maybe he stole from, from, um, uh, from Philemon or whatever, but there is that something that he did, and then he ran away. So we see him as a runaway slave. But when we look at this book, I want us to think about it this way. Paul, Paul's main emphasis in this book is in verse 6, which we're going to spend a lot of time in, verse 6 and 7. Mostly verse 6, about that kononia, about that fellowship. But one thing that is very clear in this is that in Christ, I see my page is too wide, is that in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. We are equals. Paul looks at all those three different characters of people that we saw, the three different characters that we spoke about earlier, um, which would be which would be Paul, the apostle, Philemon, the rich man and a believer, Onesimus, this runaway slave who's a believer. Paul sees all these people and sees them as equals. And I want us to remember that because that's going to be very important as we go on. When the relationship that we have in Christ comes into our lives and it becomes part of our lives, the social, the social order or the social um, type of castes that we put people in, they fall away. The very names of master and slave become irrelevant. The very name of boss and somebody who works for the boss becomes irrelevant because our relationship in Christ makes us one. It makes the ground level. When we walk in Christ, when we live in Christ, our relationships are not dependent on human classifications. When we are in Christ, our relationship is dependent on what Christ calls us, not what the society calls us. First Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. I'll read three scriptures to show you exactly what Paul meant by this. It says, for just as the body is one 
and yet many parts, and all parts, though many, form only one body, so that it is with Christ. For by one Holy Spirit, we are baptized into one body, spiritually transformed and united together, whether Jews or Greeks, Gentiles, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink from one Holy Spirit, since the same Spirit fills each life. This is the same apostle. He's writing to the Corinthians at this time, and he's showing them that although we, are, we may have the body has different parts, they make one body. And he's calling them to the realization that we are one in Christ. And then he goes on in Galatians 3.28. He says there is no distinction in regard to salvation. Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, whether male or female, for you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim spiritual superiority. This is the same apostle. So I want to lay this foundation so that you understand as we go through this, because I know that there's a lot of controversy when it comes to the book of uh, Philemon, that why didn't Paul just clearly say, release Philemon, don't make him a slave? He said it in other words, but he did not say it as clear as some of us think that he should have, or some of other people have thought that he should have. But when you look at it, he was clear on what it meant when, when Onesimus came back as a brother, no longer a slave. It destroys the, 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 the crates or the, the casts that the, the society had put around them. It destroys it. Other slave owners would say, this slave ran away and he comes back. He's now, you're now treating him as a brother? Do you realize that it's going to make our slaves as well rebel from us? Because they would think that if they run away and come back, we have to treat them like a brother? It did not make sense. But Paul calls it what it is because he realizes that when we come to Christ, things change. When we come to Christ, we are no longer bound by the norms of our society that are not in accordance to God's word. Our society may call it something else, but it's different when we come to Christ. And we see that as he speaks to um, his brother Philemon here. Another little piece of scripture to think about, and I like to, I, I almost did not read this one, but I thought I should, because it's the book of Colossians, and it's believed by tradition that this book was sent at the same time with the book of Philemon. And why that? Because the same people who are mentioned in Philemon, in Philemon are the same people who are mentioned um, in Colossians as people who are sending the book, who Paul is sending the book with. So in Colossians, Paul says to them, Colossians 3, 9 through 11, he says, do not lie to one another, for you have stripped off your old self with its evil practices and have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually renewed in the true knowledge in the image of him who created the new self, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, nor between nations, whether barbarian or Scythian, or in a state 
sorry, nor in status, whether slave or free, but Christ is in all and in all, so believers are equal in Christ without distinction. This is Paul. He's re-emphasizing the fact that we are one in Christ. Having said that, let's go into the book itself. Paul writes this. He says, Paul, a prisoner. He calls himself a prisoner. This is the first time that he introduces any book that he writes as a prisoner. He always introduces himself as apostle, which is right, and introduces himself um, as, a, um, as, as an apostle, as a servant of Jesus Christ, and all those things. But this is the first time that Paul says that he is a prisoner. And also he introduces himself not only as a prisoner, but also as a slave of Jesus Christ, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of Rome, although he was in a Roman jail. Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of circumstances, although it's the circumstances that brought him there. Paul did not consider himself a prisoner of all the legal troubles, the religious legal troubles that brought him there. He considered himself a prisoner of Christ. He realizes his freedom that comes from Christ, despite the situation that he is in. Paul is one person who realizes, yes, I'm bound here, but I'm free here in Christ Jesus. And my first question to you and me is, whose prisoner are you? What is it that is holding you captive here? Whose prisoner am I? What is it that is holding me captive? We are not prisoners of circumstances as believers. We are not prisoners of churches as leaders of churches. We are not prisoners of any ism, sexism, whatever. We are not prisoners of that. We are prisoners of Christ Jesus which brings liberty to us. When we are in Christ, we experience liberty. We might feel like this body is holding us here in places where we feel like it's a prison, but we know the reality of whom we believed in. And whosoever, whosoever is in Christ is a new creature and is free and free indeed. So as a child of God, don't hold yourself captive. Don't let the devil hold you captive because he even can't. You are the one who's sitting there wanting to be held captive because the freedom has been granted to us by Jesus. I love the way that Havner writes this and I'm going to read this to you. He says, Paul was in Nero's prison, but he was not Nero's prisoner. He was the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Back of all earthly incarcerations and all dungeons of circumstances, all jails of the earth stands our Lord. He is the keeper of his people. Our times are in his hand. Stone walls do not make a prison 
nor bars and a cage. However dark the shrouded room of sorrow and sickness might be, behind the dim anon stands God. With the shadows, within the shadows, keeping watch over his people. The keeper of Israel does not slumber or sleep. No man made chains, no feathers of the earth can bind our souls. We are prisoners of the Lord. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge us Broadway today. We are prisoners of Jesus Christ. And being prisoners of Jesus Christ brings freedom. Do you, do you see the opposite there of the world? The world says if you're in prison, you're confined, doesn't it? But Christ, if you are in Christ, if you're a prisoner of Christ, you have freedom, you have liberty. That, that's, it doesn't really make sense in the world that we live in. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we could understand him and understand everything about him, then he would not be God. And then Paul goes on and he says, to Philemon, our beloved brother, beloved friend, and fellow laborer. In Christ, we are not just equals, but also we are friends, we are partners, and we are co-laborers. In Christ, we are not just equals. We are friends, we are partners, we are co-laborers. And I'm stopping there to, to emphasize that, because I want us to understand this. It's easy to just say, oh yeah, we can be co-laborers excluding friendship. But no, 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 in Christ it's both. We can try and say, oh, we can be partners and exclude friendship. No, 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 in Christ it requires, it requires both. The brother and sister who's sitting next to you or behind you is not just a co-laborer in Christ. They're a friend. And also, they're a partner. Partnership has got a very powerful effect in our lives, in the lives of people. When you are partnering with somebody, when you're partnering with people, it makes things that were impossible to be done, to be done, to become Doable. When we start working together as a church, as believers, as a church of Jesus Christ, I don't mean just Broadway, but as a church of Jesus Christ, when we start working together and we start saying we're coming together so that the world would know Jesus, things that were impossible become possible. Last few weeks we had, marked, uh, we had um, met Edwards here leading worship with us. He's a missionary in Hungary. Partnership, coming together. Broadway came together with Matt and made the impossible, the impossible which was going to be impossible when he was sitting here as an individual to start a church in Hungary. It became possible because there was partnership and coming together to push that and to make sure that that happens. And so I want to encourage us that as we partner in the gospel, there are big things that happen when we partner in Jesus. The things that seem impossible happen in partnership. A good example of that is with our friend here, Philemon. Forgiving 
and letting the runaway slave free. It's impossible at that time, but it becomes possible because of the partnership in Christ. And then he goes on and he says to him, and greetings also to the church in your house. Most of you know that I love Spurgeon. And Spurgeon points out that Philemon had a church in his house, and this suggests to believers that their homes should be a church. And each home have the characteristics of a healthy church, which consists of people who are converted, who are saved, worshiping together as a family, together having a bond of unity, supplied with oversight, teaching that is always present, and a heart to minister to those who are outside, an open door. Spurgeon just puts it that way, and it's something that I really liked, but it's got really not much to do with what is being said here. But the whole thing here is that Paul says that to the church who are in your house, in this letter, Paul's, Paul shows again the fact that we cannot do this alone. Philemon is not sitting alone. This letter, yes, is a personal letter to Philemon, but it includes the church that meets in his house. As believers, we are not called to walk alone. Do not walk alone. I've always used the example of, buff of, um, of a buffalo, of a head of buffaloes and lions. When the lions are hunting buffaloes, they don't hunt for a head of buffaloes. They hunt for one buffalo that is single. And they, they surround it. And they jump on it. But the problem is that when a buffalo is in the head, what happens is, unlike the wildebeest, that when the lions come, they all scatter and run away, the buffaloes come and attack the lions to a point where the lions cannot even get to this, to this buffalo that they've identified. But when the buffalo is alone and standing alone, the lions pounce at it and they get it. And that's the same thing with us. When we are alone, the enemy finds a good playground here. And it drops down here, comes into action. But when we are walking closely with one another, there is protection with being with one another. That is the reason why Jesus said, bind them together in his prayer in John. He prayed that we're bound together. When we walk together as a church, there is victory in walking with one another. There is safety in walking with one another. And I want to encourage us as a church, just like we hear here, Philemon did not walk alone. Don't find yourself walking alone. We are called to walk with one another. Yes, we're walking with Jesus. It's, some of you might say, it's just me and Jesus. No, no, no. This relationship is this way and this way. That's why it's a cross. Yeah, it's you and Jesus, but there's others. The cross is not complete with just one line. And I want to encourage us that as we walk, we realize that we are walking, yes, with the Lord, but also we are walking with one another. And so Paul says here to him that with the church that meets in your home. Then Paul goes on and says, I thank my God for making mention, and sorry, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing your love and faith 
which you have put towards Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints, and that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which, you, um, which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. This is Paul writing. This is the, one of the most important verses of this passage. That verse 6 is part of that reading that I just read. But Paul says to him, I thank God in making mention of you. I thank God in making mention of you. Paul prays with thanksgiving. For Philemon. Paul prays with thanksgiving for, he says he's making mention, and it doesn't mean that he's making these elaborate long prayers about him, but he makes mention of him in his prayers. Who do you make mention of in your prayers? When a brother or a sister comes to mind, do you press delete, 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 or do you spend time in saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on there. I pray for that brother or sister. When brothers and sisters flash through your mind through the day and you think of so and so, what, what comes to your mind? Is it a prayer of thanksgiving or it's delete, delete, I don't want them in my mind, delete, delete. What is it that comes to your mind? What is your response? Our response should be prayer for one another. Our response should be a prayer of thanksgiving as well for one another. If I'm having a difficult time, I'm going to pick somebody that I know won't be offended by this. If I have a difficult time with Alex, and then during my time during the day, I've had a very hard conversation with Alex. I've moved up with Alex. I don't want anything to do with Alex. And the Lord brings him to my mind. I can still have a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that there has been a time of difficulty with Alex. Because that stretches me, that grows me, that stretches him, that grows him. Thank you for it. It's hard, but it's true. It's what we need to do. And Paul here says, I thank God for you every time I think of you. Every time you think of a brother or a sister, I encourage you, Broadway. Take that minute or that second, mention them in your prayer. Thank God for them. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. But even if we don't know what to pray for, then thank God for them. Pray God's grace over them. Pray God's protection over them. There are no more things that we could pray without even having had a personal real prayer request from that somebody. So I encourage you that just like Paul, we make mention of one another in our prayers. But in this, Paul tells us there is one thing that he thanks God for. And he says, he thanks God because Philemon is a man of love and faith. That's what he, he speaks about of Philemon. He says, I thank God because of your love and faith, hearing of your love and faith. And he speaks about this and he says, not just love and faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also for his people. I want us to note that. He doesn't say, I thank God for, the, for your love for Jesus Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ and ends there. No, he adds, and for his people. They need to be love and faith for one another. 
And part of that faith for one another is giving each other the benefit of doubt. Being kind enough to one another to give each other that, you know, grace. Yes, our love for Jesus and our faith for Jesus is important to us. It's the foundation. But then the house does not stop at the foundation. It's built up. There is no any other foundation that can be laid except the foundation of Christ Jesus. But then there is building that needs to be done. And he says, be careful on what you build on. Some build on hay, some build on straw, some build on, on, on bricks, some build of whatever. Jesus calls all those things. But there is building that needs to be done. The building in that is then your life that you live here with one another. Is part of that building. As we live with one another. He says, your faith towards all the saints, your love and faith towards all the saints. The word saints there speaks of all Christians, all believers, not just the distinct ones, not only the ones that we like, all believers, all those that walk with Jesus. And then Paul goes on to the problematic verse which is the main verse of this whole book, verse 6. And in verse 6, Paul says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The, the faith, that our faith, the acknowledgement of our faith will become effective in us. One of the biggest things, the foundation of all effective evangelism is the overflow of a life that has been touched by God. We cannot share the gospel if we have not received the gospel. Our sharing of the gospel, our sharing of the love for one another and with each other is an overflow from what God has done for us. If one has a heart that is not thankful, that is not grateful to God, it's impossible for them to share this with others. So Paul says to him here, in a way he's saying to him, that, that gratefulness, that overflow of what God has done for you is what others will enjoy in the process. He says God has done everything that is good in, in the life of Philemon. Now as a matter of being an acknowledgement by both Philemon and those who share in the faith, when these good things are understood, others would come to Jesus. The reason why we don't share our faith is because we don't understand what God has done for us. When we have an understanding of what God has done for us, there is the sharing of, the faith, of our faith, not only just in evangelism, but with one another. When we understand what he has done for us, it's easy for us to share, therefore. We are prompted by faith to share. We are prompted by our love to share. Our faith and love, not only for Jesus, but for one another. And that word comes again, that word kononia, the word that speaks of fellowship. Speaks of fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation and intimacy. It speaks of sharing uh, part of what um, 
That word means it speaks of sharing which one has anything in or participating in something. It speaks of intercourse, fellowship, and intimacy. It speaks of a, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, an exhibition or embodiment of proof of fellowship with one another. So Paul uses this word again, kononia, to speak of that fellowship. And in that, he's speaking to the fact that we belong to one another. When we realize that we belong to one another, we walk differently with one another. When we realize that what happens to me affects Dave, who's sitting out there, what happens uh, to Neil affects Bill, we understand that we live and we are part of one another. And therefore, it's easy for us to share with one another because we understand that we are cononier, we are partners, we are associated with, we share with one another. Paul prays for Philemon that this knowledge, it's not just a head knowledge of knowing that we are part of one another, but it's experiential knowledge. And Paul says that experiential knowledge, I pray that it would grow and produce every good thing which is what God is doing in Christ Jesus and that we may have fellowship in what God is doing in Christ Jesus in the lives of each other that we may become alongside that we may work alongside with what God is doing this working alongside and this knowledge, not just in our head, but in our hearts and in our experience, is what helps us as believers to then be able to be mentioned like what Philip is mentioned as, as somebody who refreshes the brothers and sisters. When we have that experience and that knowledge, we are then able to be refreshers of our brothers and sisters. Paul says to him, because I've heard that you, you refresh the hearts of the saints. How refreshing are we to those that meet us? Are we in a place that people, when they spend time with us and they walk away, they feel refreshed? Or are we those kind of people that people are like, oh no, there he comes. I walk this way quickly so he doesn't see me. Or with those people that when people, after meeting us, they have to go into confession room. We are called to be people who refresh one another. Philemon is a guy that we see here, and his faith is short in itself active in loving service of others. He loves others enough to serve them, and he refreshes them by serving them. Galatians 5, 6 says this, For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything, but only faith that is activated and expressed through the working, sorry, through the outworking of love. That means in his love, when we love, when we experience that love, we are able to bring refreshment to others. Just a little bit about Refreshment. In Genesis 18, 4 and 5, we meet Abraham. The first time that word is used, he says, Let a little water be brought 
Uh, then all you may wash your, wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go your way. This is when he meets those, um, those three angels that were going, um, no, those two angels that were going to Sodom. When he sees them, he calls them in and he understood what it meant to refresh those that are traveling. It was the hottest part of the day and he knew that he would pull them on, wash their feet, get them food and make them feel refreshed. In Exodus 23, the Lord gives a commandment about the Sabbath day. 23.12, he says, six days you do your work, but on the seventh day you shall not work, so that your ox and your donkeys may rest, and so that your born slave in your household and, the, and, in your household and the foreigner living amongst you may be refreshed. God sees the importance of that refreshment. And so sometimes refreshment comes being, by being a place of rest for other people. Is your presence a place of rest for other people? Is a place of anxiety. I'm not talking because they're anxious because of their sin, no. I'm talking about because they're anxious because they know what might come out of you might poison them. It's a worry for us as believers. We are called to be people of refreshment. Psalm 19.7, it speaks of one of the ways that we get refreshed. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. Spending time in God's word and sharing God's word with one another. It says in scripture, when we greet each other, we greet each other with hymns and praise. That joy is refreshing. Proverbs 11.25 says, a, pe- a, pe- a generous person will prosper. Who- whosoever refreshes others will be refreshed. As believers, as we refresh others, we get refreshed ourselves. God is just what we reap is what we saw. When we reap refreshment, we will sow refreshment from others. Jeremiah 31, 25 says, The Lord said, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. When we see the weary and the faint amongst us, what do we do? Do we walk away? Do we rush away so they don't pull us down with them? Or do we try to bring refreshment by either praying for them being there with them, hearing them out, sharing God's word with them, whatever, sharing our, our physical, material things that we have with them for them to be refreshed. In Acts chapter 3, another way of refreshment on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and tend to God that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is our refresher. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we are overflowing to be refreshment to others. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 18, For they refresh my spirit and also yours. Such men deserve recognition. It's important. Paul speaks about refreshment, and then he goes on to Philemon and says, You have refreshed, brothers. There is refreshment, refreshment, refreshment. Philemon was an easy man for Paul to ask this from. Because Philemon was a man who was willing to refresh others. When we walk in maturity, when we are mature in our walk with Jesus, we are a refreshment to others. One of the signs of, ref- of, of maturity is being a refreshment to your brothers and sisters. It's not quoting all the scriptures and knowing them by head, which is good. We need to. 
We need to keep God's word in our hearts so we may not sin against him. But that's not the only marker. One of the markers of being mature as a believer is being able to refresh others that are around you. It's being able to remember when you hear their name or when you think of their name to go back and pray for them. It's being able to be a place where others can come to to find peace with God. Being a place where others can come to for confession. Being a place where others can come to to confide in. Being a place where others can come to to be loved and cared for. Being a place where others can come to to have even their physical needs met. We see Philip here, our brother. He's an example to us of what it means to walk with Jesus and with others. Faith and love in Jesus. Faith and love also for our brothers and sisters. Amen.